We're going to be in Galatians this morning, if you wanted to pull out your Bible and open up to Galatians. In fact, I want to start by reading our passage straight through. So it's Galatians chapter 1, and it is verse 11. Glad that you guys are here today. I'm excited to be opening up the Word with you. This is our second week in our series in Galatians, and our series is called Liberty, is it Liberty to Love? The liberty of love. No, that's good. You guys cheated. Okay, you guys there? All right, Galatians chapter 1, verse 11. Now I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel preached by me is not based on human thought, for I did not receive it from a human source, and I was not taught it, but it came by a revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard about my former way of life in Judaism. I persecuted God's church to an extreme degree, and I tried to destroy it. I advanced in Judaism beyond many of the contemporaries among my people because I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my ancestors. But when God, who from birth set me apart and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I could preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. I did not go up to Jerusalem to those who had become apostles before me. Instead, I went to Arabia and came back to Damascus. Then, after three years, I did go up to Jerusalem to get to know Cephas, and I stayed with him. Fifteen days. But I didn't see any of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother, Now, I'm not lying in what I write to you. God is my witness. Afterward, I went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia. I remained personally unknown to the Judean churches in Christ. They simply kept hearing, He who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. That's our passage this morning, and we're going to pray, and we're going to dive into it. Heavenly Father, we come before you to ask that as we open your word, that you would speak to our hearts, that by your spirit you would take this truth, and that you would take what's going on in our lives, Lord, and you would help the two connect, Lord, that you would break down barriers, that you would open eyes to see, that you would... Cause us to be receptive, Lord, to hear your word. And Lord, I pray that we would respond to your word, Lord. I pray that we would respond appropriately to what you reveal to our hearts, God. And we acknowledge, Lord, that uh, we're not all in the same place. We didn't have the same week. We didn't have the same experience this morning getting here. And yet we acknowledge that your spirit speaks to each one of us, Lord, where we're at. And so we actually are praying for a miracle this morning, that your spirit would use your word in our lives, in our hearts, that together this morning we could leave here encouraged by having gathered in the name of your son, Jesus. We pray this in the name of your son. Amen. All right, so why does Paul need to say all this? Why does Paul have to go there? Let's see. 
How many waters? I only need one coffee and one water. Somebody asked me if I'm ready, and I said, well, let's see. I have the Holy Spirit. I have the words of life. I've thought through what I want to talk about. Where's my coffee? (laughs) So why did Paul need to say all this? Why did he have to get into all this detail? And why does he say it the way that he says it? It sounds a little defensive, doesn't it? The tone is a little bit defensive. Well, it's true because what we're reading really is his defense. See, his message was being questioned, and his ministry overall was being questioned. And his authority to be the one who delivers such a message was being questioned. And so what happened, though, is Paul wasn't there, and they didn't ask him these questions directly. Paul was, uh, had gone through these cities and preached the message. And then a group of, they're called Judaizers, have come in behind Paul and started to tell them that the gospel that they believed and the, the subsequent behaviors, you know, prove that, that they hadn't really gotten the right message and that they were missing something and something needed to be added in. And specifically, they needed to adopt a few of the behaviors that the Jewish people have been doing prescribed in the law and the traditions of their people if they really wanted to be saved they really wanted to be good with God, okay? So Paul hears about this, and he begins this letter, and I don't know if you were here last week, you can catch the video if you go to our webpage, there is a video, and there's this little picture, um, a video of, of the whole book of Galatians, putting it in perspective, and what I really liked, and what stuck with me is the little picture of Paul writing the letter, and then the little cloud of consternation. Remember that? The little, the frustration that uh, Paul has as he begins his letter. In fact, he doesn't give him a bunch of praises in the beginning. He begins, well, what is going on with you guys? And so he's, he's calling them kind of on the carpet, and he's like, I just want you to know, and this is where we start, I just want you to know, brothers, and he begins this section that we're looking at today. So we're going to break it into two sections, okay? So we'll, we'll break it into two. The first one is we're going to talk about there's, there's really only one gospel. This is his defense. There's one gospel, and it's the one that was given to us by God. And the second part, we'll get there in a little bit, and Paul doesn't depend on, I don't depend on the original apostles for my ministry. My authority doesn't come from them. So let's look. We're going to look in Galatians chapter 1, verse 11 and 12. Now, I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel preached by me is not based on human thought. I did not receive it from a human source, and I was not taught it, but it came by a revelation from Jesus Christ. Paul's message came by the revealing of Jesus and so I think it's important, Paul's, Paul's argument is like, I'm not sharing my own made-up thing here. It's his story. 
It's the story that he tells. As messengers of Jesus, now we have a story that we're telling. But we have to adopt his story. It's his plot line. The characters in the story are his characters in his setting, in his time, in his space. And I just, you know, if you did a little bit of evaluation of the various other options of faith systems, you know, they, they take their own plot line, they borrow a few characters, and then they, cha- they, they, change, the, they change the story. They change the setting. I mean, there's a, a large group of, of people that call themselves Christians that believe, you know, there's another revelation of Jesus Christ, and it happened over here somewhere near Missouri, you know, by an angel that spoke to them, you know. And so the question of, well, where is this gospel from is important. And, and Paul's like, wait a second. The gospel was clear, and so Paul's defending his story. It, it feels so defensive, and you're like, why is he, you know, like he sounds so, I don't know, uh, rigid, and yet he's trying to bring them back to, the, to where they were. They're the ones that left. They're the ones that started adding things. They're the ones that started to believe differently. And he's like, go back to what we talked about. Nothing's changed. And in this book, he does. He, he takes the time to dive into what is the gospel. And uh, we have that, you know, coming ahead for us to uh, dive deep into. But here... In the next few verses, Paul begins to go into a description of his story, starting with his background. Where did he come from? So the first couple verses, 13, 14, it's Paul's conversion. It's his, well, it's his life before his conversion, because he has this amazing conversion experience that we're going to get to look at. But before his conversion, and he gives a brief synopsis, he says, For you've heard about my former way of life in Judaism. I persecuted God's church to an extreme degree and tried to destroy it. I advanced in Judaism beyond many contemporaries among my people because I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my ancestors. So here's a guy. He was actually seeking to destroy the church. The group of people who believed and followed this gospel that he's now preaching. I think that what's important here, if you ask why is Paul bringing this up, one of the things is Paul wanted to know, wanted the Gentile believers in in the churches in Galatia to remember that Paul knows all about Judaism. Paul was excellent at being a Pharisee. Paul was zealous for the things that all these Judaizers have are, are talking about that have come into the picture. Paul wants to establish that he knows all about the additions that the Galatians were being taught that needed to be part of their gospel. He was well acquainted with that message. And so in the next couple of verses, we have Paul's conversion and calling. Because at some point in his life, everything changes. And I want to read with you in Acts chapter 26, this experience that he has, and this powerful moment in Paul's life. And uh, it's in Acts 26, verses 12 to 18. So if you'll uh, just listen. 
I was traveling to Damascus under these circumstances with authority and commission from the chief priests, King Agrippa, while on the road at midday. I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining around me and those traveling with me. We all fell to the ground. And I heard a voice speaking to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Is it hard for you to kick against the goads? Then I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. But get up and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness of what you have seen and of what I will reveal to you. I will rescue you from the people and from the Gentiles. I now send you to them to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that by faith in me they may receive forgiveness of sins and share among those who are sanctified. Well, that's a powerful story. What a powerful moment in Paul's life. And I was thinking about how sometimes we kind of want what Paul had. We kind of want an experience. Like if God would just like shine the bright light and, you know, like, you know, fall to the ground and I I couldn't resist it. It would be be so, so obvious and I would certainly follow him then. I would certainly obey his leading in my life. But what are we supposed to learn from this story? How is it supposed to teach us? This, this, this section where Paul defends his, his faith and his journey and his conversion. I mean, are we supposed to long for what Paul had? Are we supposed to experience what Paul had? I mean, like, should we expect this same type of thing. I mean, I was thinking about, like, should we, like, maybe we should go to Damascus, like, get on the road that heads there, you know, and, like, call out for God to, to show himself there. Like, is it going to happen along, and I was thinking about his story. I was like, but, like, yeah, should we expect it to be along a road as we're going somewhere else to, to, to Damascus, just like Paul's? And it's like, well, no. But it is true that if you never know when God is going to turn the light on and when you're going to finally see Jesus for for who he is. You know what I mean? Or the people in your life or in your neighborhood. You never know when that's going to be that God reveals his son, Jesus, to their heart. And it's like, should should, should we long for this, this, this experience where we fall down you know, on our faces, and, and, and it's just so un, unmistakable and filled with power. And, and I'm like, well, in a way, not, not completely, but like it should bring us to our knees. Like when Isaiah, you know, saw the glory of God, and when the shepherds, the glory of God shone around about them, and, and, and it happened to Paul, and there's so many others. Like when, when we encounter Jesus for who he is, there's this recognition that I'm not worthy. I don't 
deserve to stand in this presence. And I was just, I was thinking there are things that we, we can long for from Paul's experience without specifically having the exact type of encounter and the calling, the, the specific nature of what God wanted Paul to do. I've, I've chosen you and I want you to go and I want you to take the gospel to the Gentiles and make it clear to them. Should we want that? And sometimes we want that. Maybe we have that. Well, now back to Galatians, okay? So verses 15 and 16, Paul starts to recount his story of conversion in just these couple little verses. It's kind of quick. And he speaks of his calling to share the message. In fact, it's like they're connected. His calling, his conversion, it happens, you know, at the same moment as when it happened on the road to Damascus we just read. It says, verse 15, but when God, who set me apart by, from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult with any human being. You know, Paul lists his credentials like he's done here in Galatians uh, a, few different, uh, a few different times. But how is it that he defends himself? How is it that he goes about... And I, I was, want to zoom into verse 15 there, where, it, where he says that, um, um, who set me apart, God who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace. And I want to read Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5 with you real quick. I chose you. I chose you before I formed you in the womb. I set you apart before you were born. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. And then even Isaiah 49.1, it has this same kind of language, being chosen from birth. Paul's saying that he is in line with these prophets. I think that he uses this phrase to tie himself back to, to make their ears go back to, Jeremiah was called to be a, a herald of truth to the nations, a light to the nations. Paul's doing something very significant here, and he's saying that my calling, that moment of my conversion, and God giving me this message and the revealing of Jesus Christ to me there, it's much like when he gave Jeremiah the call to be a prophet to the nations and a light to the nations. He's making a very, very powerful argument argument here that he's in line with the prophets carrying forth the mess the message the gospel message that was still hidden to the prophets and those who longed to see it before but now he's got the rest of the story because the messiah has been revealed so you better listen up to the rest of the story and it doesn't include all that other stuff you're trying to add to it don't be fooled by all this stuff because i have got the message that you need to hear it's from God. It's not made up by a bunch of men. So we're going to move now into our second section. We're going to move into verse 17 to 24. And uh, Paul is continuing his defense of his message and his authority. But now we're going to look at this part. And we're just going to talk about Paul. He didn't depend on the original apostles. That's what he's, he's explaining here. Verse 16b basically says, I, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was. 
but I went to Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas, and I stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of, none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I'm writing to you is no lie. And then he says, afterward, I went to the regions of Syria, Sicilia. I remained personally unknown to the Judean churches in Christ. They simply kept hearing, he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. And it's kind of like there's no doubt that the Judaizers were complaining or claiming that Paul, he must have learned his gospel, you know, initially from the apostles, you know, like, that he got their me- his message from, from them. Uh, and so he was kind of dependent, in a sense, on the apostles, the other apostles, the, the big three. Uh, and so, you know, and even support-wise, he was kind of like anchored to them. And so that kind of like trying to undergird his authority to say, look, if these Judaizers can convince Peter and some of these other apostles that they need to continue the traditions of the Jews, well then, uh, you know, Paul needs to kind of fall in line with that too. And so it's just kind of like a, a tactic, and Paul's definitely probably had some specific cases brought, or four instances brought up against him. And uh, even at the today's section when it's over, we're still kind of hovering over this, this defense of Paul's ministry, even next week. And uh, so, like, there's, it, it kind of goes, goes on. So what I want to talk about is, here's Paul spending so much time going back through his, his credentials. But why does this section matter to us today? Why does it matter to us today? Are we like the Galatians? Are we sitting here wondering if Paul was off base in his message? I mean, maybe so. Like, maybe there's things that Paul says you don't really like. And you would love it if Paul really wasn't following God's authority, you know, and that kind of hope Paul is making some of this stuff up by himself, you know. And, and if that's true, it's important for you to at least encounter Paul and what he says about his conversion and his, and his experience and where he says he got his gospel, the, the message. But I want to suggest, too, that big picture, the messenger matters. The messenger matters. Your story matters. And what I really like about Paul is that he's authentic. I need to be authentic. I need to be the real deal. I don't mean that I need to be perfect. Authentic doesn't mean that it's maybe... It's not about being, uh, pretending like I've got everything figured out, but it's also not, it's not the same as being, you know, just comfortable in our, in my own skin. You ever heard that? I'm comfortable in my own skin. I've got nothing to hide, nothing to prove. Take me, take me, leave me. You know, I'm not talking about a place of like overconfidence or pride, you know, in yourself, but what I mean as a messenger of the gospel, are you authentic? Are you the real deal? Are you, let's use the word, are you like uh, in the battle? Like, are you engaging with the gospel? Are you aligning yourself and your, 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 another phrase that could be used, are you running the race? 
Like, are you in the race? But your story matters just like Paul's does. You know, we tell Jesus' story, and as they wrestle with Jesus' story, the, the gospel that you're sending, you're telling, they're going to look back at your story. And what they're looking for is a story of transformation. They're looking for where have you been able to be impacted by this gospel. And so, just like Paul, he doesn't hide what it was like before conversion. That's part of the transformation that God does in your life, in Paul's life. And that's our story need, is, is part of, it's part of the story that God is telling. It's part of the bigger story. And we can't, we can't remove that. Paul's story involves pursuing his own status in a system, misunderstanding God, zealously pursuing the traditions of men, persecuting Jesus' followers. But when Paul sees and he follows Jesus, he reorients his life. And in doing so, he obeys the call that God put on him. The understanding of the gospel and the compulsion to preach it to those who needed to hear it. In verse 22, it says, I was personally unknown to the churches that are in Christ. They only heard the report. The man who formerly presented us or persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they praised God because of me. Does God's work in your life line up with the message of the new covenant? The new covenant message. God has given you a heart for him and a heart that's tender towards him. That's part of the new covenant. He's given us a new heart. But are you authentic? So as we kind of like bring this home a little bit, I, wanna, I just want to suggest that we are also ministers with a message. We're ministers with a message. The message, it's his message. And it's got to be the message of the new covenant. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. We're not ashamed or embarrassed by the gospel. The truth, the story of what Jesus is doing and has done. Our competence, point one under this, there's three. Our competence as ministers with a message. Our competence with this message comes from God. And I want to read you this passage. It says, we have this kind of confidence towards God in Christ. We have this kind of confidence Verse 5, it's not that we are competent in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our competence is from God. He has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit produces life. And we want to make sure that 
our message is the, is the new covenant. It's the life and the hope of the new covenant and that we're not preaching more of the old covenant. The old covenant says this is, this is the law, these are the rules, and you just abide by these and you're going to be all right. And the new covenant is, is hinged upon faith in Jesus Christ. The new covenant involves the Holy Spirit who regenerates, who renews, and he rebirths so that you're a new creation. And then he starts to produce in you the fruits of Jesus so that your life begins to look and your love and your patience and your self-control, they come and it's not from you and your strength, but it's his Holy Spirit in you as you continue to walk in his grace and grow in his grace. And so when we speak, it needs to be the new covenant that we speak. Because the Spirit produces life. But there's a competence there. Because it's not about you. Paul is convinced that the power for life change is wrapped up in the gospel message, the power of salvation for those who believe, and that the life change that he's expecting isn't coming by him yelling louder or writing in bigger letters, but it's by their willingness to follow that which they believed and stay anchored to it and align themselves with it. Our authority, verse two, uh, not verse two, our authority, point two, as ministers with a message comes from God. And Here's a significant correlation that we have been given authority by Jesus Christ to be ministers with a message. Matthew 28, 18, Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. All authority had been given to Christ, and Christ says, I want you to go and I want you to make disciples. Go out there with my message and make disciples. The last of these points, our endurance as ministers with a message comes from God. And I found a couple passages where Paul was encouraging his partner in the ministry, Timothy, and they were really encouraging me this week. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, 8 to 11, it says, so don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. Don't hide his story. Instead, share in the suffering for the gospel, relying on the power of God. And now, I'm just thinking, I was thinking about, like, suffering for the gospel. I'm like, man, I have not suffered for the gospel. We're so worried about what, I mean, but like, Paul was beaten and flogged and shipwrecked and abandoned. And like, like Paul suffered for the gospel. You know what? I'm afraid someone's going to be like, oh, no thanks. I'm like, 
They just said, no thanks. Or they'd be like, well, I got to go. Like, not interested. And we're like, what if that, what if that happens? <laughs> what if they reject my message? But like suffering for the gospel, guys. You know what I mean? Like, I've got a long ways to go. You know, there's a friend in my life that I've not shared the gospel with that I really feel like I should have by now. And I had to confess during this, this study, and I'm like, why am I not giving him the message? And I do the same thing as you. Well, I'm, I'm loving on this friend. I'm building relationship. I mean, but like, he knows me. He knows my wife. He knows my kids. I know his wife. I know his kids. I help him do things. I'm like, yeah, okay, the love thing, love first, right? And <laughs> love for, done, enough. I mean, how much? I mean, I could, I could just do that forever. I'm just building a relationship. You know what I mean? At some point, my friend needs to hear the message. And I'm feeling like I need to share the message with him. And I'm confessing to you that I, I haven't. I've got, I even had another friend that said, you need to share the gospel with him. Or you should. And I said, yes, I should. And I haven't. Why haven't I? I'm just, I, there's lots of reasons that I could come, excuses I could come up with. But I haven't, I even found a Bible that I thought would be good for us to look at. I showed it to him once. But I haven't carved out the time to sit down and be like, here, here, here's what's going on. Like, look at this. Verse 9 of that section, he saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. It's not about us, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. And this gospel, this has now been made evident through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. For this gospel I was appointed a herald, an apostle, and a teacher. Remember, I just said that we have been giving authority to be ministers with the message, okay? And so here we're identifying with Paul. For this gospel, I was appointed a herald, an apostle, a teacher. And that's why I suffer these things. But I'm not ashamed because I know the one I believed in. And I'm persuaded that he's able to guard what has been entrusted to me. Well, that concludes our time together this morning looking at Paul's defense of his message and his gospel. And from it, I think we gather... Yeah, we too are ministers with a message. And our story matters. We're going to bring it into the picture. We're not going to pretend like we're not going to gloss over it. But we're going to point to this is transformation. Look at what God is doing. Look what he's done for me. But look at what he's offering. Life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we gather here this morning because of your word, because of your son, and I pray that your word would speak to us, and I pray that your son would have his way in us. Lord, we give these things to you. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, John, we have a few things going on this week. John's going to let us know. <laughs>